forever. Dog. Comic books, comic time. Writers and artists are on the line. They make a splash as a comic's read and take us on a trip behind the spread. Watch out for comic book commentary. Spinning on winning inside, fix how they got a hot idea. Narrative, character, visual tricks, and onomatopoeia. Uh huh. It's comic book commentary. Hey, what's up? I'm Jackson Lansing. And I am Colin Kelly. Well, and, oh, nope. Do you want to go? Who's going to go? <laughs> oh, no, we can both go. I just was using my podcasting voice. Uh-oh. Uh, I don't have a podcasting. I don't have a podcasting voice. There you go. There, there you we go. go. But uh, let's try again with our normal human voices. Right on. Okay. Uh, here we go. Yeah. And, uh, hi, I'm Jackson Lansing. <laughs> and I'm Colin Kelly. There we go. You got this it. This is Comics Talk. Uh, I can only hold this up for so long. Hi, guys. I'm Jackson. Uh, What's up? Hi, guys. And I'm Colin. Uh, That is Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. And we are here to talk to you guys about Green Arrow number 50, uh, an issue very near and dear to our hearts, an issue that um, we were honored and privileged to get the chance to write. Yeah, it's the capstone of a uh, whopping three issue run that we started back on issue 48 uh, that picks up from... Uh, work done by Julian Shauna Benson and uh, Javi Fernandez there, and also by an amazing team uh, before that, uh, which really set the, I think, bar for this character for um, really since uh, the New 52 began in a lot of ways. Uh, and that's uh, Ben Percy and Juan Ferreira and uh, the amazing Otto Schmidt. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, we've been, we came in on this uh, essentially with the opportunity to uh, tell. Uh, a couple of really incredible stories that tied into larger events in DC continuity. And um, we thought it might be really interesting to talk about uh, how you uh, intersperse with a huge event, uh, let alone like say three huge events, which this book does. Yes. this um, We have the really, I mean, it was really cool to figure out how to tie this into all the key moments of Ollie's life across not only his book, but his place in the DCU, uh, which is going to include uh, events in Heroes in Crisis, uh, primarily building off of Roy's death, and No Justice, uh, which was the summer event uh, from the summer, obviously, uh, where Ollie was given a very secret, very special box that he has been basically sitting on ever since. Uh, Uh, Which rippled uh, as kind of a tension point through the Benson run and which is going to come to a huge head here uh, in Green Arrow 50. So uh, presuming that you guys have kind of read this or have the book in front of you, we're just going to be going through page by page and talking about uh, what goes on. And hopefully uh, along the way, we can give you some insight, uh, not just into writing uh, Green Arrow and Black Canary and what it's like to work uh, on a character like this and what our intention was uh, with you know, the scene working with the pages and all of that, uh, but also what it's like to work in a shared universe and tie into a lot of larger concepts, uh, which is a unique challenge that you get uh, when you play in this grand uh, playground of uh, of big two superhero books. Heck yeah. So let's flip that cover and start with page one. Heck yeah. But maybe we should talk about the cover first because the cover is heartbreaking. Oh, it's wonderful, though. Uh, Kevin Nolan, uh, just, you know, a legend. And we, we've been so honored to have him on the book. Uh, but here just, you know, we the only thing that we had said about this cover was we'd really love it to anchor back to um, Ben Percy's issue one uh, cover as well. Or I'm sorry. I, I think more uh, specifically uh, uh, Juan Ferreira's uh, sure, number sure, one yeah, cover. Yeah. Uh, but then also the cover to uh, their last issue, which was issue 40, issue 37, I believe. Anyway, um, uh, but also the one that tied to their last issue, uh, each of which showed Ollie uh, close up, putting on the mask, um, smiling, feeling dangerous, whatever. And we wanted to really um, show that this was the capstone ending. Uh, so he would be taking off the mask. And it was also really important for us um, to let our readers know that this issue was going to be exploring a certain tone. Um, this is definitely a savage moment in Ollie's life, and it's one of the reasons that we were so excited to approach it. Um, we basically got the green light to tell the story of Oliver Queen's very worst day. And that was an uh, absolute delight to pull off, as, as, as schadenfreude as it is. Uh, so, page one. Uh, we open with Ollie... Uh, coming in on a scene uh, that will really make, I mean, it might make sense out of context, but it makes a lot more sense uh, within the context of issues 48 and 49. Um, Ollie has uh, been in recent, uh, in recent days, uh, he has been 
challenged for the mantle of kind of Seattle's protector by this new uh, hero on the scene, uh, a character named Jace Riot. Uh, and Jace is a uh, ass kicker and a rebel and um, very inspired by the sort of like um, on the like boots on the ground, uh, you know, frankly, like leftist and Antifa kind of characters who are out there in our real world uh, trying to do right by their community. So we thought, hey, let's, you know, we're in Seattle. This is a place with a lot of leftist sentiment. It's a place with a lot of political sort of class undercarriage. So why don't we really embrace that and bring in a character who can speak to that? Mm -hmm. uh, and so Jace became our, our lens into that in 48 and 49, um, just really a, a sort of salt and pepper um, on the stake that was those issues, because that was very concerned with Ollie and uh, his past and Roy and Black Canary. Mm -hmm. uh, but here we get to see Ollie going right up against them, uh, Jace v. Ollie, uh, and leaning in. So we're also juxtaposed against the imagery. We're seeing a conversation between Dinah and an agent of the U.S. government. Um, basically, Dinah's past has come back to haunt her. Um, she's being forced against her will to confront Ollie with a secret that he's been keeping, the secret of this box, basically. And it's creating a crisis moment. Um, there's no way that she can get him out of this. This is basically Ollie's choices coming back to roost, and it is going to become the driving wedge between them uh, as we move forward. Uh, so, yeah, we were really just showing, uh, you know, I, I, I love sort of Ollie's like low tech way of getting in and out of uh, situations. Uh, he's he's like Batman without the gadgets. So like he shows up, he doesn't have a smoke bomb. He just grabs some uh, dirt off the ground and uses it as uh, his way of getting uh, through like laser traps. Uh, this is a guy who is going to rely on the most like basic skill set imaginable to do something extremely dangerous every day. And that which is something that we come back to by the end of this issue. Um, so I really like that we could demonstrate it right on issue one. And though it kind of falls away because it just becomes the background texture. Um, an important thing about this is also Jace's choosing, Jace's location is in the sign of South Side of Seattle, which is this really warehouse driven, a lot of industrial parks. Um, and it's also where a lot of the population of Seattle that's really getting gentrified out of the city itself is being pushed to these kind of darker, um, you know, traditionally unpopulated parts of the city. And we really, while it it seems like a cool, awesome, like, oh, yeah, Oliver Queen swinging into a building in a beat here, it's going to become like, no, nah, man, you don't come to this part of town, which is really important. Uh, so moving on to page two, we meet uh, Jace Riot and, uh, you know, for for the second time um, now in their lair, their Batcave, which is basically uh a warehouse, uh, empty office space, uh, where they have set up a, uh, significant amount of, uh, like jury rig technology. Yeah. It's just like a tent. It's basically, they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're a squatter basically. Yeah. Uh, well, and I mean, frankly, when you don't have a lot of respect for power and authority, when you think the man is uh, gentrifying you out of your areas and, uh, all the people that you're helping are essentially dispossessed, you don't necessarily have to look at your life and go, oh, I'm going to put a giant penny and a robot dinosaur in here. Like, I'm just going to make do with the means, uh, that I have. Uh, and, and Jace kind of makes that point when, uh, uh, Ollie is like, I'm, you know, I'm trying to shut you down mostly to keep you safe. And Jace just looks at him and goes, well, I'm helping people. Like, this is what I do. Uh, they say, uh, uh, some people get ground up and lost. Uh, some people get ground up and lost. Who finds them? Huh? You. First time I've been a uh, first time I've seen a superhero in this town in uh, on this side of town in weeks, which is a thing that uh, to Colin's mm -hmm. point, like Jace is filling a void, and all he can show up and try to act the high and mighty guy, but ultimately Jace is the. Uh, Jace is the voice of this community uh, within the lens of the Green Arrow book, and it, it seems um, it seems silly not to have all these sort of immediately uh, have to reckon with his own uh, with his own inability to well, his privilege blindness. Thank you. Yes, uh, exactly. Uh, he has to reckon immediately with his own privilege, um, which is kind of on the very next panel. We have him saying like, oh, hey, I got to introduce you to Kate Spencer. Like the, <laughs> the, the DA will definitely help you. And it's like, nah, man, that's bullshit. Like the DA, the police in a lot of ways, from a lot of perspectives are a big part of the systemic systemic problems that are cities are facing, that our country is facing. And at least from Jace's perspective, working with the DA, I mean, you might as well be, you know, you might as well be signing up for the army. And that's something that you really have to recognize when you sit down to, to write uh, Green Arrow. And it's something that I think we've, we really tried to reckon with immediately, which is that um, as much personal stuff is going on with the death of Roy and uh, with obviously this massive secret about to blow up between Black Canary and Green Arrow, there is something inherently political about this character that's been there forever because not because the, the book has to be political because the writers are political, not because of any of that, but because the person himself, Oliver Queen, grew up in privilege, mm -hmm. recognized his privilege, and then has spent the last 30 years of comic books 
um, unable to uh, uh, separate himself and his judgment of others from his own privilege. He's constantly looking at himself and trying to do better, ask himself to be better, ask himself to be stronger, ask himself to be a better man, uh, ask himself to be a better white man, ask himself to be a better affluent white man. I mean, this, these are this is a guy who's really trying to rise himself above uh, the the sort of frankly, uh, careless person that he was and could become again mm-hmm. if he let himself become embraced by his privilege. So I think it's always important to have a character uh, who who recognizes that and pushes back. And uh, that's what Jace is here uh, to do. And, you know, I don't want this um, wonderful opportunity to talk about the book, get distracted by, you know, tales of what might have been. But um, I think that our intention, it really behooves to talk about is yeah. uh, with Jace. Like, so I think you know, I think, Jack, you can actually speak to this really well, but like there was a point in Ollie's career, especially, you know, you think of his great team ups with Hal Jordan and Hal Jordan is like, let's go to the sock hop. And, and, and Ollie's I don't like, know, I, nothing. I, there's literally a scene where Ollie's like, I've been listening to this new thing called rock and roll or like this new thing called jazz. jazz. And uh, and and uh, Hal Jordan looks at him and goes, well, you, you know, uh, uh, nothing will ever beat old Dixieland. And you, you, I, these are like. And you're like, man, like just Hal Jordan's just the squarest guy in the room, but, even in the 1950s. But the wild thing is, to a certain degree, Oliver Queen has become that. Like, yes, he is mm-hmm. still uh, he's still a progressive. And yes, he's you know, this he's very much about equality for everyone. But he still established himself from a very specific perspective. Um, so it was important for us with Jace to be able to introduce a character who was, um, you know, not only Latinx, but non-binary and able to approach positions and perspectives from this very new kind of, I mean, new, like, and progressive perspective and basically rub his nose in it. We wanted someone who would be as Oliver Queen was to Hal Jordan. We wanted someone to be for Oliver Queen. Uh, that's exactly right. I was really excited about the scene where we got to teach Ollie how to use they, them pronouns, but it never happened. It exists on a folder somewhere in a draft somewhere. And it's totally delightful. <laughs> um, anyway, speaking of they, them, uh, Jace totally wrecks Ollie's uh, stuff. He throws on, uh, they throw on a, um, uh, laser, uh, guided, uh, system to blind Ollie so that Ollie can't get them as they run away. But, uh, in a in what I think is just a delightful uh, homage to uh, the Dark Tower, which brought Colin and I together, uh, Ollie <laughs> doesn't aim with his eye, and he uh, is able to fire uh, and at least uh, get a ping on uh, Jace. So Jace manages to escape uh, through a really ingenious uh, little low rent uh, bat cave escape system and get on a train uh, downstairs and uh, simultaneously uh, light all of their gear on fire so that Ollie can't trace them or know where they're going next. Uh, so uh, you know, stay strong, stay free. Uh, uh, Jace Riot. But I think it then does lead to this beat that is essentially Oliver Queen's thesis statement. And oh, yeah. as far as Oliver Queen goes, like, this is this is why we love him. I imagine he says this to himself all the time. All the time. This is like with like at the anytime you see Ollie in a silent panel in anybody in any other Green Arrow book after something goes down that he didn't quite succeed in. Yeah. I and, imagine he's saying this. And he says, You gotta get better, man. Like, just quietly to himself. And I think that's the key of Oliver Queen. Like, he tries so fucking hard. I'm sorry. We're going to (laughs) swear. He tries so hard. And it so often blows up, literally in his face. Mm. And every time he's like, I guess I got to learn from this and move forward. Which is, it's the key for him. And it's why he's so wonderful and why he resonates so strongly with so many people. Uh, So with that little preamble out of the way, we are into the first of what will become a... um, uh, um, sort of refrain in this book um which are these countdown slugs uh on here on uh, on this page uh which is what now we're on page one two three four five uh right there at the top of page five six uh we will count down throughout the book five four three two one um finally landing on the title of the book uh which surprise it's zero uh, anyway, we see Oliver coming home. He's coming home to his Queen Anne home. Um, he's kind of sneaking in. He's heading towards the house. Let's he's... talk about the house for a second, just because, yeah, sure. like, I think it's it's we're we're about to do something kind of brutal to it, and it's important to to at least uh, acknowledge like what it meant uh, thematically within this book. It wasn't ours. It, it, it came out of the Benson run. And it's this lovely little it's this lovely little craftsman um, one story home on a little hillside in the corner of the Queen Anne district of Seattle. Um, I'm from Seattle area, like 
Queen Anne is just one of the most charming. Yes, it's affluent. Yes, gentrification is a very real problem. It's really expensive at this point, but it's it's homey and it's a community and it represents a really nice life. Um, and that's what Ollie and Dinah have kind of established for themselves here. Not a superhero cave, though there is a superhero cave underneath it, but rather a home where these two wild childs can, for a little bit, pretend to be domesticated cats. Uh, and I think they really want to. I think both of them deeply love each other. And uh, of course, they want this quiet life. Of course, they want to share partnership. Um, but... Things aren't that easy um, when you have an entire past uh, behind you, and they're especially not easy uh, when, like Ollie, you have been kind of slowly uh, off your game more and more and been losing so much. Um, so Ollie, again, no superpowers, playing in the big leagues, only uses bows and arrows. And so far, what's happened to this guy recently? He's lost his he, – he, he found a sister that he never knew about and almost lost her and then did – like, she almost died and then he left her, right? He's uh, – Almost lost his whole city, they, the Star City phenomenon. Mm -hmm. uh, he went through adventures uh, that disillusioned him about the prison system. He went through an adventure that we wrote uh, that disillusioned him with his ability to make uh, uh, good outside of his yeah, city. Global change. Uh, he's been feeling smaller and smaller and losing more and more. And so when he gets this box from the Justice League, I think we should talk about that before we get into this. Sure. Um, you know, no justice happens. And uh, no justice was an event where the entire Justice League uh, literally and, and by, by that, I mean, like the Justice League Unlimited, right? Like every superhero who had superpowers was either taken by, uh, into space by Brainiac to solve a massive problem or taken into custody by Amanda Waller to save the planet while that massive problem, uh, you know, hit the, the hit Earth. Um, giant space gods coming after Earth. And only the Justice League can stop it. And um, who was left behind? Who's the only superhero left behind that nobody thought was valuable? Oliver Queen. Dude literally wasn't taken by anybody. He was the last kid standing on the field whenever when the other teams went to go play baseball. And he saved the world after a fashion that day, uh, mostly by reckoning with what Amanda, uh, Amanda uh, Walker was doing back on the planet. Uh, mm -hmm. Amanda Waller, sorry, uh, what Amanda Waller was doing back on the planet. And so then uh, what happens? John Jones comes over to him. He like goes to the Hall of Justice. He's like, hey, guys, like that was screwed up that you just like let me there. And John Jones gives him a box. And John Jones, like his good, like totally respect you of all of them, John. You are the one that gets me. And we have a, we've established in canon that these two have an excellent rapport. And and John uh, gives him this box and says, you're the you're the one of us who was left behind. Um, if we ever go wrong, and I know sometimes we do, I know you're going to be the one who's going to be able to stand in our way uh, mm -hmm. and gives uh, Oliver Queen uh, uh, the last kid on the field, this very, very important box, uh, but doesn't tell him what's inside and yeah. tells him he can't open it and he can't tell anybody about it. And all he decides that he's not going to tell anybody about it. And he doesn't tell Dinah and he just keeps it hidden and secret and safe. Mm -hmm. um, and when we knew that this book was going to come to an end, it became very important uh, to know what was in that box and how to build it uh, and how to um, build it out into a story that was. Uh, something that they could reckon with without it just taking over the story and being a giant plot device. Right. Uh, so uh, the first step to knowing what's in that box is this very difficult conversation so, uh, because Dinah has been told about the box. She knows now and uh, she cannot let him have it. Right. So as we turn the page, basically, um, first off, first and foremost, how wonderful is it? Not even like, oh, we did such a good job, but just the chance to tell this is like a four page, five page, six page scene that's just these two on a porch. Yeah. Having genuine feelings at each other. Yeah. And, you know, people and Javi just and Javi just murders it, just crushes. Uh, it. He's he's wonderful at emotion. Um, His his indignant Ollie uh, across against his hand hangdog Ollie, this guy who just he wants to lash out so bad. But inside, he's just kind of this hurt puppy dog. I think um, Hobby brings it without us having to say a word. Of course, we say a lot of words because we don't know when to stop. But uh, Hobby really just uh, murders it. But yes, I mean, the, the opportunity to do this scene at all is rare in superhero comics. And the fact that we get to spend how many pages? One, two, three, four, five, five pages on this before we have another giant explosion is um, uh, it's a huge credit to DC that they, they were down um, with doing this in the last issue of Green Arrow. Uh, so thanks for letting us do it, guys. And so basically what we have here is a, the conversation is, you know, Dinah is saying, like, man, give up the box. 
right? Like this box is just a thing. It's just a thing. We matter more than that, right? Our love, our future, just put it down and you, we can walk away, right? From her perspective, this is an excellent deal. She's basically negotiated this with the government, with the spooks who are going to be coming after hard unless Ollie just gives it up and walks away. And the tempting thing here is like, they can just go be those normal people. It doesn't need to be a facade. They can literally find any beach on the world and just disappear into it. And unfortunately, that stands against everything that Oliver Queen has built for himself. Everything that he conceptualizes as his identity doesn't let him do it. Uh, this is a man who spent his life overcoming his privilege by putting himself in the way of danger, by fighting for those who uh, can't fight for themselves and by throwing his middle fingers up to authority uh, and – here he has authority coming to him through his girlfriend, putting her in a terrible position and then being told you have to give up everything or we can't be happy. And that's just not a deal that Ollie can take. Of course, it's a deal. Maybe he should. Yeah. And certainly a deal that um, if he was able to think through it, I bet he'd find a better solution. But they're up against a time clock. Nobody's waiting for them. No one's going to let them do this. This is a the fact that Dinah gets to have this conversation at all is a result of that negotiation on page one. Mm -hmm. Uh this has to go well or it's the end um, of their idyllic life on the hill. And unfortunately, uh, Ollie, uh, unfortunately, uh, I, she says, I think, words that are pretty magic uh, to Ollie, which is it's not uh, Ollie. You can put it down. It's just a mask. And to Ollie, it is not just a mask to Ollie. It's like the only thing that makes him feel good about himself. Uh, he can't let it go. So he walks away. Um Puts the mask back on and uh, Dinah is forced to tell uh, the people that she's made that deal with her uh, former friends at the U.S. government uh, that he uh, said no. And we turn the page and uh, here we are on page one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Here on page 10, the first of the massive dominoes that's about to fall in Oliver uh, Queen's life uh, falls. And that's the destruction of his home. Uh the house explodes, taking mm -hmm. with it any uh, hope for uh, an ideal life uh, for Ollie and Dinah. These are two people who built this place together, and she uh, isn't responsible for destroying it. Uh, I think he probably he is probably more responsible for destroying oh, it, but oh, she's the one absolutely. who has to make the call. Yeah. Um, and so the two of them end up sort of tragically on either sides of this uh, of either, either of, uh, on either side of this explosion, I think, without either being completely wrong or right. Yeah. Uh, and I just got to give a shout out. I just love the way the sound effect turned out. It's this big old honking doom, which is like. Obviously, boom would be the more traditional choice, but when you get a chance to doom, I mean, it works on two levels, doesn't it? Uh, it's and and I mean, just wonderful work um, across the board. These uh, this book is uh, lettered by Darren Bennett, uh, who has lettered. Uh, I mean, if I if I can help it, he letters everything we ever do. The the only I, I it's it's uh, he is just a, a completely unbelievable letterer. Um, his ability to rise to a challenge at any given time is amazing. Um, and sometimes just letting him write a giant doom on a page makes me really happy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so shout out to you, Darren. I hope this uh, didn't take you too long. All right. Then we flip the page and we're to another one of our uh, our slugs. Five, right? Page 11. Boom. And we're picking up a few seconds later. One of the many things I love about comics uh, is the ability to ellipses time uh, through page turn and through gutter work. So I love that we're able to pick up. Just a few moments later, Ollie's pulling himself up off of the smashed windshield of a car. Like, clearly, this house fucking threw him, you know, a quarter block. It threw him off his home. He's picking himself up. He's shaking it out, and he just feels this. He can't believe that this just happens. He lets out just this savage dinah, right? He's so fucking can't believe it, which is when he hears over his shoulder the incoming scree of government trucks. Um, and I mean, I think the so the, the fun thing about this whole sequence, this leads us into you know a, another let's say we're this is 11 12 13 uh 14 15 16 uh essentially becomes one massive fight sequence between oliver queen and as many forces that uh as the u.s government can throw at him uh What's the big challenge when you do a big issue like this? Um, you know, what's Ollie, what's going to really test Oliver Queen in the last issue of his book? Mm -hmm. um, and what we knew was that um, for reasons that we cannot 
really talk about, Oliver Queen's life had to really fall apart. He had to be in a place where um, uh, something very new, a new opportunity could come his way. And so to do that, we knew we were going to have to destroy these things. So here in destroying his house uh, and putting him up against basically a force that tells him no matter where you go, you will not be safe. Mm -hmm. Uh, We get to test uh, him like never before and also really just get a chance to watch Ollie be good at what he does because here's the thing like Ollie does fuck up a lot Ollie does make a lot of mistakes Ollie does uh, get self involved there is a lot to that but at the end of the day what Ollie is really really very good at is surviving with a bow and an arrow <laughs> in a uh, forest or urban environment and uh, he's got it here but I think it's also kind of cool because um, when we we're in that big brainstorm world of like well what is he going to face I mean the idea is you know he's living he's one of the world's most, you know, important superheroes. Uh, and here he is living in this totally little suburban town. Like, my dude, that's so incredibly dangerous to the people around you. And it was time to bring that threat home. And there's nothing better. I mean, you know, Ollie has very strong opinions about the United States government. And I feel like a certain amount of those opinions are validated here because the government has just deployed SWAT team or, you know, like armed armed soldiers, like Marines are now storming the streets of Queen Anne, opening fire like they are not protecting civilian lives. They are trying to hunt down a fugitive at the expense of civilian lives, which in a way validates Ollie's choice to in no way trust these spooks. And so Ollie has to do something really dangerous. Uh, he he calls it his the dumbest idea he's ever had. We have this one page where the entire dialogue on the page is just this is the single dumbest uh, idea you've ever had. And it's... Uh, and as we're watching that, we're watching Ollie. Um, and this was not, I should point out, not how this page was written uh, initially. Uh, this was a different action sequence, kind of, uh, with different dialogue. And uh, when Javi came onto it, he had these amazing ideas and remixed a bunch of the action into uh, the pages that you see, uh, especially uh, page, uh, what is it, 14. Yeah. Uh, like, really just... This I, I love the first two panels where you see the click, 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 and then the boom on all three of the uh, cars as he disables uh, all of those military vehicles uh, with one shot. And I mean, that's what's amazing about Oliver Queen. He can uh, do these incredible uh, things. It's just he's one man and he's doing it off the cuff. He is he is making up. He's making it up more than like Peter Parker makes it up. Like he really just it's all jazz. It is all jazz for Ollie. Uh, and that's why, even though he knows this is an incredibly dumb idea, he needs to get the feds away from this town. Uh, he needs to get them away from these people. He needs to draw them away from his house. And he also needs to get back into his house and get the box. Um, so it creates this great opportunity to really show Ollie, just make a total show out of his powers, yeah. get down into Lake Washington, swim back up into his, uh, uh, swim back up into the house that he's drawn them all away from and really get that sense of like, okay, this guy, he, he's, he might be uh, a screw up and he might be doing this off the, uh, off the cuff, but, He's really, his instincts are just the best. He just has great instincts. And I do just want to, before we kind of get into that dive, I do just want to take a point and point out for the, you know, readers at home. Um, one of the most challenging thing, uh, things about writing comics, especially professional action comics, is the conveyance of time. Sure. And something that uh, happens very quickly is the firing of an arrow uh, and the arrow hitting its target. So constantly throughout this book in particular, you know, Page space is at a premium and having to write green arrow, ready is an arrow, panel two, green arrow fires the arrow, panel three, green arrow, the arrow hits its target every time my dudes is savage and it's terrible storytelling. So, you know, we had had a version of that and then Javi was like, hey, my, hey, my guys, like, let me show you how we can do this. Mm-hmm. And that speed, I think that's the thing that at the start of these pages, we wrote to him, Javi, whatever you do, this should, this entire sequence should feel breakneck as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. We should never slow down. And that is what he was able to bring to the table. It's so kinetic. It's so quick. Um, and it really captures, as Jack points out, how talented and how good at this Oliver Queen is. And how talented and good at this Javi Fernandez is. <laughs> so, um, Oliver's dumbest idea ever is jumping off this cliff, diving down into Lake Washington, swimming underwater where he takes down Poseidon team, which is totally stupid. But when you are doing professional comic books, you could write things like <laughs> Poseidon team. And it's totally cool. Um, and you're like, hell yeah. As he slowly lifts himself. I think this is now page 17. Yeah, let's figure that out. Okay. I like knowing where these countdowns come in. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. 
15, 16, 17. So uh, page 18 page, is where four comes in. Page 18. And this is a 30-page supersized comic. So if you think of this kind of as three acts, um, we're about entering it. We're about half, almost done with our second act. Is so, this like 36 pages? Uh, it might be 36 pages. Yeah, it's yeah, a lot of like, pages. It's a lot of pages. It's a beefy book. Um, but here he is coming up into his quiet underground water layer when we hear boom from the door outside, right? We already get it. Oh, shit. They're here. They're coming in from the top, even as he's coming up from the bottom. Oh, Ollie's plan only works so hard. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. but but ultimately, like, dude needs uh, what he needs. And, and we know that he's going after the box, but then we see him hesitate and he grabs. And again, this was really important given where we were coming in, uh, Roy's hat. So uh, we've talked about tying into No Justice and tying into Justice League. Uh, this is a place where we're tying into uh, the into Heroes in Crisis, uh, where you've you have this other just giant event that's happening that's that's uh, being written very character focused and very much around the idea of like the shared trauma of being a superhero, which is really prime real estate to talk about Oliver Queen. So we've uh, tried to make connective tissue where we can. I'm um, not like we're sitting there, you know, working with Tom King to like find a way to tie it in. That's not the point at all. We're just reading the book like fans and trying to find our way to tie it to uh, the stylistic and, um, and sort of tone that that book is projecting out into the DC universe, but, uh, uh, which opens up some great opportunities in terms of uh, Ollie and, and Roy, because uh, Ollie's just lost his brother to this essentially. And it's funny, it's, um, you know, we, we, I wouldn't say we're best friends with Tom, but we're collegial with Tom. We certainly love Tom. Tom King is our best friend. Tom, you heard it here first. Tom King is our best friend. Um, but no, the amazing thing about Tom is that he, like us, writes character forward. Um, he is this humanist and he writes these incredibly, you know, real, genuine, emotionally driven characters, which gives us fertile ground. So it's like, yes, we didn't read, you know, like we knew kind of what the first couple issues were going to be, but we are reading most of Heroes in Crisis just as fans. But it turns out that our tone and his tone, when we're all approaching the grief and the pressure and the reality of being a superhero working through this really mashes up nice. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, shout out Heroes in Crisis. Uh, our book would not nearly be the same without it. Uh and then kaboom, 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 uh, Ollie has to get the hell out of there. And uh, we have established uh, the so the Bensons brought back the aeroplane, uh, which uh, started out, uh, fun fact, as a car. Uh, there was a car named the aeroplane, you see. Uh, yeah. Uh, and its whole thing was it had uh, it had uh, uh, seats that would rocket uh, Green Arrow uh, and Speedy up uh, in like like with mathematical precision into the windows of nearby buildings. Uh that was a weird thing for a superhero to have, but he had it for a really long time. Uh, shocking, really. Uh, and so when the uh, Bensons brought back the aeroplane as an actual plane, I was very thrilled. Uh, just because I've always liked the aeroplane. I always thought it was silly. Um, and I think it's a fun uh, name because, you know, aeroplane. Anyway, oh, I, I didn't get I didn't get that. You didn't get it right now? Oh, nice. Uh, that's, that's really, really smart. That's yeah. cool. And when it's a car, you could the car can also aeroplane. It can like plane like, you know, like a car does when it skids. It's very, very clever is what I'm saying. Um, and so uh, it was definitely uh, one of the first uh, big challenges of this book was we knew we were going to be having to take away all of Ollie's cool stuff. So the more cool stuff he had, the more it was going to give us set pieces to do cool stuff. So we just blew up his house. Guess what we're about to do? Yeah. <laughs> Screw your plane, Ollie. Goodbye, uh, aeroplane. Um, but I do want to once again kind of call out, we, I just personally, I love this. Like we get him grabbing the hat, running out of there getting on the plane and launching the plane in a single page, but it feels like it's just so fast paced and moving. I love, love the fact that comics, we can, we, the storytellers control the time. And that is unique. That's a unique power that we have here. Um, there's also something I really want to uh, uh, shout out here, um, which is the colors by John Kalis. Um, Ooh, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He uh, starting throughout this book, we, we were kind of given um, John a challenge, which is that the whole book takes place at night. Uh, and nighttime means that your color palette gets uh, automatically muted, especially when um, it's sort of like real world colors. This isn't like a, an expressionist book. This is, you know, Javi's people look like people, his worlds look like worlds. And so as a result, when we were dealing with this sheer amount of color, this was going to, you know, when when big explosions happen, when big moments happen, um, that was going to color the book uh, and paint it that way uh, on occasion. And so here we get this amazing explosion um, at the top of uh, 19 and uh, see that plane, you know, heading out of there. Um, but then we're, we're slowly getting sucked back into that night color space. I just think he does a wonderful job keeping night vibrant and real without making it, um, you know, technicolor. Uh, it's wonderful stuff. And we, of course, have one of my favorite moments in the whole book, um, which is that when Ollie finally escapes in the aeroplane, uh, 
you know, he sort of looks back and can see Dinah on the ground and Dinah can look up and see him on the plane. And they both say, damn it, damn it, Dinah, damn it, Ollie. Uh, because I think that's probably something that those two say a lot to each other when the other one walks out of the room. And I do think it's important, though, because as she watches him rocket away, she also sees the, um, the you know, the jetpack soldiers, because that's a normal U.S. government, you know, issue gear. Um, they, in the D.C. universe. In the D.C. universe, right. Uh, they blast off in and she realizes, like, they are going to be using excessive force. Like, I thought there was a way to bring him in. I thought there was a way for this to be nonviolent. But they are now, as, you know, jets take off after him, they're now shooting to kill. And if there's one thing that Dinah will not let happen, it's she will not let her man die like that. Yeah, it's I think it's important to note here that, like, Dinah, Dinah isn't on the side of the U.S. government. She's just in a really bad position and she thinks she can make it right. Ollie doesn't allow her to do that. And in doing so, it puts her in a position of really having to choose. And it seems for a second like she's going to choose the government uh, because she's surrounded by dudes with guns. Um, we will learn pretty quickly that she does not. And this her grabbing this motorcycle and getting out here, um, I think, is is very is a very like pointed return to, OK, it's Black Canary on her own getting on a motorcycle and getting the hell out, uh, which is, uh, you know, her classic uh, form. And we're going to have another sort of mon- uh, uh we're going to have a sort of homage to that later on in the book. Uh, so Ollie is racing through the air on page 20. He's racing through the air. J- fighter jets are pursuing him. And these guys are just doing their jobs, right? They don't, you know, they're, they got a target. They got to take the target out. They're all very blase and kind of chatty in the scene. And I, I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of another job for them. And yeah. like, what's one plane going to do against them? Uh, these are professional Air Force pilots. And Oliver Queen is a dilettante who fires arrows. So, um, Goodbye, uh, aeroplane. Goodbye, aeroplane. Page 22 uh, is just gorgeous. Um, I think the script for this page read something like, I don't know, man, do whatever you want. Just make sure the aeroplane explodes. Uh, like <laughs> the, we uh, we call out, you know, OK, we're going to, you know, we individual scenes. So I think what it actually did was I said, you know, lay this out however you want. But we need to see Ollie. We need to see the plane exploding. We need to see Ollie falling out of it. Um, we need to see Ollie pushing an eject button. We need to see uh, the guys giving each other a thumbs up, um, which I just always love. Yeah, the jet, uh, jet, jet fighters. Job well done, John. Uh, yeah, um, and we need to see uh, the the hat uh, flying away, Roy's hat, because this is going to be the moment um, where uh, we, we think that he's just losing the aeroplane, and that would be enough. Um, but on this next page, which uh, in to some degree, a homage to Heroes in Crisis uh, shoves itself into nine panel grid becomes a uh, uh, also the curtain call for Roy's hat. Uh, and we see uh, it burn away in the wreckage and fire because Ollie can survive uh, this kind of plane crash. But sometimes your most valuable things uh, or memories cannot. Yeah. And it's it's particularly poignant because it's clearly, you know, he has the choice. He grabs he has the choice between the box and the hat or, you know, he basically has one chance to grab something and we see him grab the box. And then as he's falling, he watches the hat just tumble and burn to ash. And he's left with his his choice. And then, of course, he pulls the chute and the chute lights on fire <laughs> because it's a comic book. And he goes tumbling to his inevitable demise. Uh, I think it's fun to uh, I think it's, it's really important to us that uh, Ollie be constantly faced with really hard choices in this book and constantly be making ones that he immediately regrets. Uh, he immediately regrets uh, how he plays the uh, situation with Jace. He immediately mm. regrets how he plays the situation with Dinah. He immediately regrets his plan. He's literally saying while he's doing his plan to get the box, this is the dumbest idea you've ever had. And then he immediately regrets uh, grabbing the box instead of the hat. Uh, and then what he immediately regrets falling out of an airplane. I mean, it's it's literally a, a sort of constant uh, state of Ollie making these decisions that, that feel instinctually great, but in fact uh, are, are putting him deeper and deeper into uh, the shit. Except we turn the page three and this time his terrible choice. Guess who's saving his bacon? Uh, so Black Canary is here on page 24 and, uh, you know, you talk about comics language and how you can speed and slow up time. Um, you know, the, the most obvious sort of way I think uh, there is to uh, to sort of slow down time is to put just tons and tons and tons of panels in it. And the easiest way to speed up time is to put no panels in it. But sometimes you get a page like this where there's only one panel and yet it feels like the moment just slows down. Mm. Um, it has this um, 
sort of cinematic language to it, uh, it feels progress. It feels like, like you're seeing the progress of movement, even though you're just looking at a thing. I think this is one of the best pages hobbies done. I think this is an iconic page, um, for Black Canary. Uh, I, I'm, I'm insanely proud to have been a part of this page. I think it's gorgeous. Um, and anytime that we get to write scree in really large letters, I'm also very happy. Good way to go, Darren. So she uses her canary cry to basically stop his fall. Uh, on the next page, we see he still does have to fall, right? Because he's green arrow. So he lands with this <laughs> awesome You thud. gotta hurt Ollie. Yeah, you, gotta, you just gotta keep punching him. Just gotta, keep punching Ollie as many times as you can. The more times you punch him, the better he is. Ollie's gotta bleed. Yep. Um, but he lands and basically, you know, yeah, he just fell down, but I mean, Dinah's there to save him and he knows it. Um, I, I think this scene's really gorgeous, uh, by and large, because it's when we get Dinah and Ollie back to being, um, each other with each other. Like, Dinah knows that, like, she knows she went too far and Ollie is starting to realize that he is, I mean, obviously knows that he's gone too far. And the two of them in the middle of all this anger finally get this hug at the bottom. And he comes back to that moment at the beginning about it being just a mask. Um, and, and he's been trying to explain this, I think for a while, why he can't just give this up for her. And, uh, he gets it out in that one line. I, I really just, um, and I think that came pretty late, honestly, uh, in the mm-hmm. process. I think that, uh, was a product of, Looking at the book as a whole, and when you get a book like this that so much happens in, um, it's very easy to get lost in all the action. Uh, we're going to blow up his house, then we're going to blow up his plane, then we're going to blow up his relationship, we're going to blow up his hat, and like you know, that we're going to just continue to blow up all this stuff in his life. You want to make sure that you have these these thematic through lines that really tie together. And uh, the it's not a mask, it, you know, or it's not just a mask from the early pages that was there, but tying it back to the scene came out of. Uh, seeing the scene and seeing the art yeah. being inspired by what Javi had done. I think we'd had a, yeah, whole, had a whole different monologue and we saw the art and we're like, you know, that's not it. Yeah. And I think the important thing, and I just love it because Ali is, for all of his mistakes, he is such, he is so emotionally intelligent, even for all of his stupid choices that he makes. He sees that he's been rescued by Dinah and his reaction is like, he still can't let her be right because he's not <laughs> wrong and that's what he's hugging her he's I see, in my head he's crying as he hugs her right. because he wants to, her to be right so badly yep. but he just can't let her be right he can't give her this nope. and she knows it and she loves him anyway for it which is what leads us to the next two pages and one of the just the coolest homages that I think we've ever pulled off uh, so you know we Colin and I are big uh, uh, giant comic nerds uh, as is not a giant surprise so when we do these books we take on a lot of research and um, when we do any book, we take on a lot of research. Uh, but on Green Arrow, it was it was especially um, exciting because there are so many really fantastic takes on this character that do divert and, and change. And, and, you know, so you're going to find a lot of different iconic moments and a lot of different vibes and you can really play with that. Um, but then there's this page, this just incredible um, Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams page uh, from Green Arrow, Green Lantern, uh, where from Hard Traveling Heroes. Uh, where Dinah is um, set upon uh, in her introduction by a bunch of motorcycle thugs. And the book pauses in this extremely literary way that you don't see in modern comics. Uh, and there's, a, there's literally a, 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 a uh, there's like a cut across the middle of the page. And on that cut is written just prose. And that prose is just a very florid descriptor of uh Dinah and who she is and where she comes from and mm-hmm. how she learned jujitsu when other girls were in school and that she became this just total ass kicker and that she's just the best and like, oh, isn't Black Canary just the coolest? And it was like, I remember that was like one of my first experiences with Black Canary and then rereading it. I was like, this is the best sell on Black Canary I've seen in ages. Like, I love this character already. And, and you just needed to tell me who she was in like three sentences. And it's just a bunch of it's a bunch of physical vignettes. And we just see the kind of the motion of her body and the the skill, how how combat, how battle for her is as a dance. And we get to see her lines and her. I mean, you know, it's seductive. It's sexy. It's badass. It's cool. And you fall in love with her as the prose is basically record scratch stuff to be like yeah i know you're feeling like you love her guess what you do <laughs> and, it's, and it's true you it's, do. It, it, it's a fantastic sell job and it's at the beginning of this issue and here we're here we were at the end and we we're like how can we maybe use something stylistically like that to wrap her um how can we pay homage to this thing that made us fall in love with this character uh, and do some way that feels character centric um that's sort of like one side of our brain and on the other side of our brain we're just trying to service the arc of ollie and dinah in this issue apropos of no homages and stylistic bullshit, just like how 
no formalist considerations, right? Like, how do we just make sure that these two characters don't feel like they went through uh, a story that that feels either unbelievable or that feels trite or um, or that feels constructed? And uh, those two objectives collided in this homage because what it created was an opportunity for uh, instead of what they do in the Denny O'Neill book where it becomes a uh, it becomes the 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 book pausing to explain it to you um, from like an omniscient narrator. Why not have that prose that so clearly loves Dinah, Laurel Lance? Why not have it come from the man who loves her? Wouldn't mm. he know that stuff? Wouldn't that be the way that he sees her? Wouldn't that be his uh, the ultimate way to show that Ollie is still in love with Dinah, that, that, that their love has not been affected by the fact that they've gone through this horrible thing this day. Uh, and that he understands the position that she's been in and also how much she's about to fight for him. Uh, I just love that. So whether or not in your head, he is delivering this line in the actual scene as these guys get their ass kicked, I'm going to leave to you as the reader. Uh, we left them as captions in order to be a little bit, uh, you know, less overt about that. But uh, in my head, at the very least, this is exactly what's going through Ollie's head, if not his mouth in that exact moment. Absolutely. Um, and uh, really huge shout out to Javi here for we told him about the homage. And rather than just like doing a direct homage, he found his own way into that uh, scene, which is, I think, incredible. I, I, I love this page and I'd put it next to the Adams page. Uh, flipping over to t page 28, we're kind of getting the post of that as, you know, Dinah Badass stands over this pile of bodies. Um, and she basically explains what's up. And what's up is that she just bought him the time to run. Um, but they can't be together, right? Basically, there's a target on his back, and now there's a target on her back. And if they're together, they're going to come, they're going to be each other's liabilities, basically. Uh, this was our last chance to put these two together, um, which was a really exciting uh, opportunity. I mean, and a heartbreaking one. Um, we talk about the things that Ollie's losing, and uh, this right here is probably the most <sighs> important in terms of really setting him on a new world. Um, he's lost his ability really to be, uh, he, he's lost his home. He's lost his plane. He's lost his base. Um, but here he's losing Dinah. He's maybe not losing her heart, but he's losing her companionship. Uh, they have to go their separate ways just to survive. And, uh, that was rough. Um, that said, uh, if you want a little, um, you know, and I, again, it's not like we know anything you don't, but, uh, you don't write the words, I'm not a pretty bird, I'm a bird of prey, unless you want to. Uh, and unless you believe very much in uh, next acts for uh, Black Canary. Uh, I uh, I also really love for, a, uh, just to talk about for a second, I've never liked Pretty Bird. Nope. Never weird. liked it at all. It's kind of weird. Uh, it's a diminutive kind of pet name that, in my mind, kind of makes her sound like she's, like less than in Ollie's eyes um, or like something like, he needs to protect. Like she's a songbird in a cage. And it's like, man, if there was one, I mean, maybe he means it ironically, but like, that's a stretch, my dude. Like none of us call the SOs in our life by like a kind of a, a cute little negging name. I mean, unless, some people do. I just, we don't. Right. That kind of means you're a jerk. So, but whatever, he says it with love and he's an old, he is a certain, has an old tiny charm. <laughs> he is an old. Uh, <laughs> Oliver Queen is an old. And uh, as a result, uh, sometimes needs to be taught about uh, talking to women and uh, in this particular result uh, he we, we really wanted her to be able to like for once and for all maybe put a uh, put a pin in uh, I am not a pretty or I, I you know in in, in in pretty bird as a uh, as a phraseology and uh, maybe when that comes back next uh, someone else can reckon with it um, but they kiss and it's beautiful and they hug and it's emotional and and then zoom Two. Uh, and now we are uh, what page is this uh, this would be Thirty thirty. All right. So round page thirty, we're on to two. Um, we are nearly to the end. Ollie has very little left to lose. He basically has his green arrow suit and the box now. He loses oh. Dinah. He he's he's like 
get us back, get us back, take me back. Yeah, basically, as Jace Riot is kind of like basically off screen, we've had Dinah and Jace forge a plan. So Jace is like, and it's basically Dinah knew that Ollie would never leave her, right? She's a big softy. So they knew they needed, you know, Dinah knew that plan needed a second part, which is why Jace comes zooming in here on the motorbike. Uh, Ollie kind of bobbles the box, which I love in a little bit of like physical comedy. It's like, well, oh God, give me the, but he grabs it and zoom. He's back on the motorbike racing away with Jace, but now they are too far because once again, he was focusing on the box rather than maybe pushing Jace away or leaping off the motorbike and staying with Dinah. He's once again caught up in the flow of his destiny and Dinah's left behind. Um, what follows is a scene. Uh, and I mean, and, and, and to be clear, like, I think part, part of the way we need to do that is there was no way the Black Canary or the Green Arrow was ever going to willingly leave Black Canary. Truly. Yeah. Truly. So without literally dragging him away on a motorbike, it just wasn't going to happen. Uh, and so that so Jace becomes a really great opportunity for that, um, especially because we really wanted to capstone that character. Because what does Green Arrow still have to left to lose? Well, his city and this next sequence with Jace Riot, um, which is all about putting these two together and having um, Jace basically say, like, look, for once, like, respect, you just fought the power you lost, but you got out. Uh, get the hell out of the city. I'll see you in a few years. You can tell me how I did, but I'm going to protect Seattle for now. Uh, and. It's insane that Ollie goes along with this plan, but he literally has no choice. He can't go back to Seattle. He can't operate as a vigilante. He will be putting everybody, his city um, and, and and Black Canary very much in danger. He needs to go to ground. Uh, so he recognizes the necessity of what Jace is saying, even if he uh, this is if you looked at I mean, the first conversation in this book is Ollie telling Jace Riot. You need to stop this. You can't do this. And here at the end of the book, Jace is telling Ollie, you have to stop this. You can't do this. Mm -hmm. uh, and he agrees yeah. as much as he doesn't want to. Um, and so in this way, Ollie loses Seattle. Um, but Seattle also gains a new protector. And I think an interesting point, you know, personally, I think in Jace, we have someone who also has no powers, but also has no privilege, has no wealth, has none of the tools that Ollie brings to the table. But we would argue can, can be and may get the chance to be just as effective as Oliver Queen. Um, we as citizens of this country, of this world, are imbued with amazing technology, amazing connectivity. And what we can do as empowered individuals uh, is nigh on equal to what a superhero can do in order to, air quotes, keep people safe. We'll never be able to punch Darkseid in the face, but we can certainly help people who need help. And I think that is Jace Riot's fundamental thesis statement. And whether Jace does this uh, in a book or not, or just sort of in the background of uh, the rest of the DC canon, uh, you know, certainly that's where we leave them. Um, I don't know where you're going to see Jace next, uh, and I don't know how they're going to come across. I don't know if they'll have a code name and a cape. I don't know if they'll piss off Superman like we talked about on this page. Um, or I don't know if they'll never be mentioned again, but uh, at least in my head from here on out, if you go to Seattle and you screw around, uh, there's going to be like a four foot ten ass kicker uh, right behind you who controls every electronic device in your area. Uh, and, you know, give them a year and maybe they call themselves Green Arrow. Who knows? <laughs> um, so uh, here, that, we, here we are on yeah. page thirty three. Uh, and from here on out, the book is uh, it's just one scene. Um, this is the meat and potatoes. This is, I mean, this is the this everything. Is yeah. Uh, if we didn't land this and, you know, you be the judge. Um, but if we didn't land this in a way that was satisfactory for us, then the whole book was useless. Then why do this? Um, this was the point. Because, Ollie, oh, go ahead, please. No, it's just Ollie has sacrificed everything. Every choice he's made leading up to this has been to protect this box. And as this, this box is a representation of his identity, this box is a representation of everything that he has been building to, all of the respect he's earned, all of the skill that he's established, everything he's lost, all the sorrow is right here. Well, and he's legitimately just lost everything in service of it. Mm -hmm. Like, not necessarily in service of it, really in service of his own righteousness. The bot, he doesn't care what's inside the box, really. Um, what he cares about is that he's right. Yeah. Uh, and that he's felt right since the moment it happened and that somebody told him to give him the box and he wasn't going to give anybody the box because when you tell Oliver Queen to do something, he's going to do the opposite. So that happens throughout this whole book and they keep telling him stop and he keeps going and whatever he's doing gets exploded behind him and he keeps running and it keeps getting exploded behind him and he keeps running. His house, his relationship, his plane, his city, his, Roy. And then he finally gets to the end of it, and the only thing he has is this box. And um, and it's there's nothing in the box, guys. 
one. It's an empty box. And uh, look, uh, I know that there are going to be people who hate this. Uh, yeah, I hate it in my own way. Um, it sucks. It's a rough hand of cards. That's a mean thing to do. Uh, but it was the only thing to do. It was absolutely the only thing to do. Um, we could not. Oliver Queen is too stubborn, too driven, too talented. He, if there is a single shred, an ounce of possibility, a single chance that he can win the day, he will never stop until he is dead and broken on the beach. And we had to kill that man. We had to get rid of the hope in this book. Um it was the mandate. It was the necessity. Uh, it's what No Justice led us to. It's what Heroes in Crisis led us to. It's what the plans for the future of the DC universe lead us to. Um, not a loss of hope for everybody, but Ollie needed to lose hope. Um, Ollie needed to come out of all of this. Uh, Ollie's, Ollie's had a, a pretty – he's had it – for all of his sacrifices, had it pretty good. And um, he needed to be shown that uh, he wasn't in control of his situation anymore. Uh, and so opening this box and finding nothing inside, I think the 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 most exciting or um, or devastating, depending on your perspective, uh, uh, reason to do this is that any other answer doesn't mean anything to Ollie. So let I mean, really, any other option. If if this is if 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 there's a tiny Roy in there, it doesn't work. You know what I mean? I, 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 and I mean that by which I mean like the only thing that could possibly be so important that it's in the box that would actually mean something to Ollie is like he opens it up and it undoes the events of the story, or he opens right. it up and it brings back his best friend, or it opens it up and it's uh, a key to the Hall of Justice, and now he's in charge of the Justice League. Like no matter what he does, there's a lot of plot answers that it could have been absolutely but all of us like i mean circling back to kind of what we were talking about earlier this is about emotion and this is about character growth and anything else is going to move the plot forward in a super bitchin way but we, we don't agree. need the plot guess what it's the last issue i'm sorry there's no more plot i'm sorry there's no more plot all our only job here was to break your heart and we genuinely apologize for it. Uh, I we I hope we achieved it. In all honesty, um, as as mean as that sounds, I hope when you see the empty box, you throw the comic across the room. Because um, if I were you, I might. Uh, and that's good. I want you to. That's, we we hope you enjoy. And then I hope you turn the page and watch Ollie feel exactly the same way you do. Yeah. Uh, there is. So the rest of the book is told in nine panel. Uh, this is not a mistake. Hat tip to our best friend Tom King. Um, Tom, best, best bros for life. Uh, Tom uh, has repopularized this. Obviously, um, I think that goes without saying. Uh, it's you know, we. I obviously like like a lot of people associate it very deeply with uh, Alan Moore and specifically with Watchmen, but um, Heroes in Crisis uses it as a formalist uh, tool and uh, does so in a way that really lets the come forward in these characters and lets them experience their most um, aggrieved moments. And so uh, in looking at how much that book has brought our book to a close, how much um, uh, it has let these other characters sort of speak their mind, we really wanted to do the same for Ollie here. So this well, isn't – it's not like we looked at it and we're like, well, it's yours in crisis, so it has to be nine panel. No, no, no. We, I, wrote it, we wrote it in nine panel and then looked at it and went, oh, this is actually – kind of – is the right move because here's here's just a little here's a little uh, a technical thing for everyone out there. Nine panel isn't just an affectation. We're all not 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 just ripping off Watchmen. Nine panel is one of the few is the cleanest format in order to convey nothing but emotion. Mm -hmm. Right? There's no glitz. There's no glamour. There's no funny inserts or crazy panels. It's nine regimented panels that your brain can easily process, which means that you can engage with the content of those panels with as little friction as possible. It also kind of lets you call the timing yeah. Um, in a way. Like we've been talking a lot about comic book timing in this and how you fill pages or don't fill pages and what an artist can do versus what the eye can do. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. You're right. Like nine panel creates a way for us to – I can spend forever on that first panel. Yeah. Um, and then spend two minutes on the second and then a little bit on the third. And, I, you know, it, it's up to me. And so Ollie's kind of, you know, he screams to the heavens and it's Seattle. So, of course, it's raining. Um, and <laughs> I was like, too much? Nah, no, not too much. And we had this um, interesting <laughs> challenge because we were like, well, shit, is he is this in there? Is this in VO? Is this in captions? Are we in his head? What's going on? And I think it was you, Jack, who pointed out, like, if it's like Superman can hear him, mm -hmm. like 
he can yeah. talk or at least john i think initially we had it to clark and then we were like that feels like too mean like it's like because it's like because if clark can hear this like maybe clark does intervene but if john can hear this i get john not if john like theoretically if john gave him the box as ollie suggests here if he gave him the box to make him feel better Basically, just as like a, th- you know, he's the last kid left on the field. And so they give him this box to be like, you're important, too. It's the also ran metal. If that's really what this is. And I think this book leaves it ambiguous as to whether or not it is. But like, mm-hmm. if that's what it is, certainly what Ollie thinks it is. Um, then, yeah, when shit goes down, John's not going to show up to explain himself. He can't. There's no way. But like John absolutely knows this is happening because so, he's yeah. he knows everything. That the I mean, ask Scott Snyder, maybe he doesn't, but I, I think he does. I have a feeling that he knows our assumption is that he knows this is going down and he can hear he can hear Ollie. Certainly Ollie thinks so. And Ollie certainly thinks so. And it's like, you know, he he's basically this is his dark moment of the soul. And a character can't exist always at the high points. You have to bring them low in order for them to grow once again. And that's why, you know, yes, we are genuinely, we genuinely feel for anyone out there who feels gut punched or betrayed. Um, we feel it because that's where the story had to go. Like we really needed to lower him to these depths so that the Oliver Queen we love can grow and forge and become something new. Um, so with that in mind, he loses the last thing here. Um, which is uh, superheroing. Yeah. Uh, he has lost his city. He's lost his house. He's lost his relationship. He's lost his supporting cast. He's lost his base. He's lost his weapons. He's lost every, well, I guess he's lost, he hasn't lost his weapons. He's still got his arrows. Or no, he doesn't even have his arrows. He literally has, yeah, it's just him. He's got nothing. And he then just puts on that and classic just, Seattle flannel. Yep. I love that. I, I, I love, I have this jacket. I'm yeah. pretty sure my profile photo is just the ninth panel on the second to last yeah. page of this Between book. his beard and your parka, I think Oliver Queen is cosplaying as a Colin Jackson. It's, it's very true. It's really, I mean, dude, I, a uh, uh, fun fact for all you guys out there, Ollie, uh, uh, Colin uh, does a, a really excellent Oliver Queen. Uh, did it for Halloween one year. It was great. It's true. I also am a, am a uh, mega rich, uh, politically motivated uh, superhero in disguise. It's true. Uh, and so, yeah, we um, and, and over the course of this, we get to write this monologue and look like when you get to write the last thing a character says in the book, you know, go full bore. So we did. Um, and it's uh, it, uh, really what we were trying to do with these pages is let Ollie um essentially say i get it like i get it i learned the lesson of this book like i not the lesson that uh just of this 50 but of the entire book of mm-hmm. of what percy was trying to say of what the uh, or what percy was saying what the bensons were saying and what we said um which is that ultimately uh ollie's not a superhero he's a he's a guy who really wants to do good and wants to be a superhero and wants to be this big deal um, but that is always happier and more fulfilled when he's just doing good work, when he's helping people. It's not about being Green Arrow. It's not about the brand. It's not about being Oliver Queen, certainly. Um, the best thing about being Oliver Queen um, for Ollie is that he can set up homeless shelters and bad women shelters and drug programs and help people like Roy. Uh, the best thing about being Green Arrow is going out and helping people who need him. Uh and here he has uh, a bunch of superheroes basically like playing a con on him and being like, you're not, you know, you don't belong. And uh, all he finally is able to be like, you're right. I'm, I don't. And he realizes that all of that stuff that he loves about himself and that he prides himself on that he considers to be green arrow, what he considers to be the mask. It's not the mask. It's not the mask. And he he can leave the mask behind. It he can, is just a mask. He It is ultimately just a mask. And he can put that behind. He can walk away. And it doesn't change who he is. It doesn't change the chip on his shoulder. It doesn't change his perspective of things. It just changes his context. And that's what we get as we round onto the last page as he as he walks away. Um, leaving the box behind, leaving his his armor behind, his bow, his greaves, his quiver, everything just to sit in the mud in a Seattle field as we kind of zoom closer and closer on the box and oh wait is there something in the box and the box lets loose a strange glow and you know perhaps there was something there all along or maybe there's just a weird green light in the box maybe a firefly's trapped in the box yeah who knows somebody will tell you someday 
It might be us. <laughs> yeah, it might be us. Uh, but in the meantime, and we get that probably won't be us. Uh, but in the meantime, you have this really, uh, you know, just beautiful page. I mean, Javi couldn't have possibly done better. It's it's heartbreaking and gorgeous, and I love it. And um, I I continue to be deeply uh, thankful for uh, having been part of this run. Um, I think Colin and I uh, are. We set out initially on this book. Um, I've been pretty open about this, like set up uh, on this book with the idea that we were going to do a long run and do a whole big thing uh, on it. And we had a lot of ideas and uh, you know, I mean, you've heard us like once you get us going, we, we kind of go and uh, this is a two hour podcast, right? Great, <laughs> and, great, great. Yeah. Uh, and we, I think got to a point here where we thought, okay, we've, um, we really, you know, we're, if we only have one issue, uh, after 48 and 49, right. Which were kind of a two parter prequel into like what we were planning on doing. But if we only get one issue, you know, you get 36 pages to just destroy all of our queen's life, man. Well, this was a, it was an honor to be able to do it with this team, um, with these incredible editors. Uh, we want to give a special thank you to Jamie Rich, um, who was a group editor, kind of guided us through this, to Katie Kubert, uh, who was our kind of direct big boss editor. Uh, Truly the, like, you know, beating heart of this book. And uh, like, Katie the, kept this, kept, Katie kept all the trains running on time. All the different challenges we faced and all the different ideas and concepts and iterations and shaping. Katie was there in the shit with us, um, like a true trooper and a true friend. Yeah, she's amazing. Uh, and then our good friend, Dave Wilgos. There you go. You got it. Dave Wilgos. Yeah. We love you, Dave. Yeah. Uh, Dave Wilgos is the, uh, like, unsung hero at DC Comics. If you see his name on a book, you should buy it. It's probably awesome. Uh, he's just, he's just wonderful. And he does these anthologies, which you can find a lot of our weird, like, Grant Morrison playouts uh, in those. Um, but you should definitely check out all of his stuff. He's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Green Arrow 50 is on the shelves this Wednesday. Um, even if you've never picked up a Green Arrow book before, give Give it a try and watch as a whole team of people pour their everything they have out uh, in a single issue of comics, um, including Doc Shaner, who guys like if you can find the Doc Shaner variant cover, get it, get them buy, both buy like 50 of them and put them all up on your walls. It's just the most beautiful variant I've seen in forever. Um, I, I honored to have it uh, here in our last book. I, I recently discovered that he knew he did it, not realizing it was for the last issue of the series. Um, and yet somehow he perfectly summarized the conflict at the core of our book so uh if you want to find jack and i we are going to be up at emerald city comic-con yeah we are emerald city comic-con yeah emerald city for the emerald archer your boys are coming at you yeah we'll be tabling with jody hauser so find jody hauser and you'll find us uh and we will also be down at WonderCon. um that one will just be prowling like total rad strangers i think we're on a couple of uh panels on uh for star trek year five. Oh, that's true yeah if you are excited about some of our other work uh you can definitely check out star trek year five coming at you in april please tell your stores um it's gonna be i mean you hear us gush if you think we like Green Arrow, get us started on Star Trek. Uh, we'll be back in a month to do a seven-hour podcast uh, about the first five pages of Star Trek Year Five. And uh, you finally, you should pick up, I believe it's in pre-orders now, Dog Days of Summer, the summer anthology that DC's putting out. There's an amazing amount of crew uh, who are doing great work on this, um, and we're getting the insane privilege of working with Cully Hamner on a crypto story. Yeah, we get to write Superman and his very best pup. Uh, it's amazing. It's all splash pages. Look forward to it. Thank you so much for having us. Um, I am Colin Kelly. I'm Jackson Lansing. And this has been Green Arrow 50. Comic book commentary. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever.